0: Peter, following up with Jesus. Jesus had just uh, taught his disciples this simple truth uh, that uh, forgiveness has to be worked out of us um, among one another in a real uh, transactional kind of way. He said if you uh, have someone who has wronged you, go to them privately, step one. If they won't listen to you, then take a few others, step two. And if they won't listen to a few others, take the whole church. Bring it publicly to the whole church. And if that person refuses to listen, even to the church, let them be considered to you as an unbeliever, because they have no heart of repentance. They have no spirit of God in them. They're not in Christ. It's that simple for Jesus. And so, here we find uh, Peter's follow-up question. And I always like Peter, because if we were there, we would probably have some questions. And fortunately, Peter was there, and he always had a question. This is what he says. Then Peter came up and said to him, Now Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Uh, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talons. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have mercy on me. I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And the servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. But he refused, and went and put him in prison, until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant? as I have had mercy on you. And in anger, the Master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you, every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the second part, the full picture of Jesus teaching His disciples on forgiveness. And so, in reality, when Peter followed up that question with Jesus, it opened up a whole new door to really have an opportunity for Jesus to explain the depths of what forgiveness really is. That as we are called God's children, therefore the language in here is brother, your brother has sinned against you, therefore we're relating to each other as children of God. That there's a particular way that we are to forgive one another, to relate one another in a um, boundless forgiveness. That, that's That's essentially it, a boundless forgiveness, a forgiveness that has no end. It has to be this way, because that is our gospel. And so Jesus makes a very intricate connection to say, if it is this way in the gospel, that the Father has forgiven you such, then you must, you must, the connection Jesus wants to make is that you don't get to say, oh, that's how God does things, at this point, God wants to say, no, that's how I do things. And therefore, that is how you do things. My children in my home. This is um, a very high order. We, we know in uh, the book of Lamentations, there's a verse that says this in 3.22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. And it is new every morning. There it is. That's our gospel. That's our hope. If, if that is not true, we are damned. But also, since that is true, we have a certain way to live our lives. That we, in some way, have to reflect that boundless forgiveness, that love of God. See, the first part of what Jesus said was the reality about, G- uh, about forgiveness being um, out there, objective and external. See, he says... If you have a problem with someone, you have to go to them. You can't talk about it in the mirror. You can't ruminate on it in your mind because that's normally where it goes. But it really doesn't go there. It sinks down into the soul. It's not a good place to be. So Jesus says that has to be pushed out. You have to go out to the person and say, you've wronged me. Bring a couple more. Try to convince them. If the whole church says, yes, this person has sinned against you, They are recalcitrant in their sin, therefore they are now an unbeliever, as far as we can tell, humanly speaking. Like, that was the outward move of sin and forgiveness. That sin is something you actually have to do. You have to actually get rid of it by forgiveness and repentance. But see, that tendency for us is very present for us as being very individualistic. We're just an individualistic society. It's a, it's a matter of fact, we are. We're so individualistic. The very nature, almost at every point the way God made the church, by what the church is an assembly, is that it's almost like, why couldn't God just save us by communicating the gospel to us individually on our smartphones as we all connect to the Wi-Fi? Like, why does the gospel have to be this, you see? Why does it have to be the public assembly of the preaching and the proclamation of the word of God from disciple to disciple, mouth to mouth, face to face, that's how heaven is that's what you were made for people say well no I'm just just a little bit more introverted and and individualistic and and I like to do things the way I like to do them when I like to do them, how I like to do them and they just simply say and I have opposable thumbs too (laughs) and I'm human like I am flesh like you and I also like to do things the way I like to do them when I want to do them, how I want to do them You know, it's not a special pleading. You can't just say, I just happen to be a little more individualistic. It's like, yes, and the church is not that. (laughs) And we all tend to be a little selfish. So the nature of it is that sin cannot be dealt with in isolation. It has to be moved out publicly. But the reverse of this truth is what Jesus gives us here. See, the danger was the first individualist in the Bible, was also happens to be the first murderer. So I don't know if we really want to l- uh, link ourselves to that uh, narrative in Scripture. It was Cain who killed his brother Abel. The Lord approaches him and he says, hey, I'm an American. Uh, am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me about my brother? And the answer is yes. You are your brother's keeper. You're not an individual. The next person Gets a response where God actually forgives Cain. We're told that God forgave him, released him, and said, For anyone who kills Cain, vengeance be upon him sevenfold. That is, the next time I'm going to bring vengeance upon these kind of things. Cain didn't die for murder. But then we're told, shortly after Lamech, a descendant of Cain killed a man for hurting him. Do you know what happened? Lamech said, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then I'll be avenged seventy-sevenfold. Oh, how did God not kill him when the second that word rolled off his tongue? He's mocking God's grace, you see. Oh, if, if Cain can be avenged, oh, sevenfold. Well, I killed a man after he killed a man, so seventy-sevenfold on my head. Mocking God, do what you'd like to do. Jesus has come to reverse that curse. The multiplication of our sins. And so Paul's question, Peter's question, is pointed. Should I forgive? How often when someone sins against me, Jesus, should I forgive them? The seventh time? Do you think it's intentional the way Jesus responded The way Lamech mocked, Jesus says, no, 77 times. To the extent that the multiplication of our sins throughout our generations have only heaped up an avalanche of floodgates of God's wrath. There was something drunk in the cup of Jesus Christ in which he consumed that wrath. And from that point, therefore all those who follow that cross have a particular command and power to suck it back in. To let it go so that the 7 times the 77 times the 77 have to be undone. That for whatever extent there could be wrath for sin, there is an equal and opposite and overpowering power in the cross that that wrath can be consumed by mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so Jesus extends that and says, yes, all the way down to the first murderer, every sin must be forgiven if there is repentance at the cross of Jesus Christ. For Luke 17 particularly says it this way, If he, Jesus says it is a command. If someone sins against you seven times in one day, and he turns to you seven times in one day saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You must. The balance of this kind of forgiveness is that it's outward and it's inward. So there's a way to deal with it that you have to go to the person directly and look for forgiveness. But there's also what Jesus is saying today is that there has to be a forgiveness that is in the heart. A heart toward the one who is offended. The person who actually has the offense festering in their heart. Very things are a few more important than this as far as being a disciple of Christ. You might be able to do wonderful things. You might be able to do wonderful things for the Lord. Give great money. Have great gifts. But if you cannot forgive, you have nothing. You're not even a disciple. This is essential. Some of you might be, uh, know how to uh, uh, program a computer, do computer programming, and that's fine, but you can't really go very far in life if you don't know how to brush your teeth. See, some of you might not know how to tie. Uh, some guys, uh, the elders are wearing ties today because it's Communion Sunday. Who tied a double Windsor knot? Who knows how to tie that one on your tie? You could go your whole life without knowing that. But I'm sure we all know how to take our trash out every week. Doing you know, that, that's a dysfunctional life. Forgiveness is like that. It's one of those essential things to being a child of God and growing up. That you have to, absolutely have to be good at forgiving. So I'm not a very merciful person. Then you're not a very mature Christian. It's essential. See, it's a loveliness. There's a loveliness of forgiveness. This this man, this master in the parable, he says to his servant, particularly that he had. Pity on this debtor. And he released him. There's a loveliness that comes from the heart of true forgiveness. That there was pity. The man said, have patience with me. The amount of debt is remarkable. That no patience in the world could ever do anything. The only thing that could save him was pity. That extension. The word is an extension of the heart. He had pity on him. His heart went out to him. And he released him. He forgave him. There's a loveliness to forgiveness that is absolutely essential. If there's not a loveliness of forgiveness in your life, it calls the whole question is if you even are a Christian. For example, Paul would say it this way, particularly in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, and I have not love, I am a resounding gong. I am chatter and clamor. I am useless. He says... If I have prophetic powers and I can understand all mysteries, or I have faith, Jesus just taught about faith that can move mountains. And Paul says, if I have faith that can move mountains and do great miracles and have not love, I gain nothing, you see. Nothing. That is, if I have all theological accuracy and I have this ability to speak with prophetic precision and and authority and have all of this worked out, and you cannot forgive from the heart, nothing it's essential to all of the lord's children who are truly to be called his children and we can't disconnect this idea of forgiveness just from how we are to relate to each other right because really the point of this is persistence it's not just about forgiving people for their sin how many times do I have to forgive somebody? That's the question Peter's getting to. And so it's very easy uh, to forgive a stranger. And forgive one another uh, here in this church. Most likely. I mean, even if you step on my toes every Sunday, that's only once a week. I can deal with that. But you see, there's not a lot of Bible verses about marriage but the whole bible's about marriage you see you can go to ephesians and talk about you know husbands and wives but this verse is about marriage the one you live with every day your family the ones who actually can sin against you 7 times in one day and you have to turn around and forgive them 7 times in one day that's where this is actually going The persistent sins are hard. Ephesians 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give place to the devil. He says, be angry. Go ahead. Someone sins against you. Paul actually says, have at it. Get angry about it. They sinned against you. You should be angry. What they did was wrong. But don't be angry for long. Be angry. Do not sin. And do not let the sun go down. That is, fix it quick. Go to them immediately. John uh, Matthew 5 says, Come to terms quickly with the person you are opposed to. Quickly. Why? Do not give place to Satan. That is, the nature of forgiveness, why it is so pernicious, and why it is so serious for Jesus, is because He knows how the world works. The spiritual world. He knows our human hearts. If you entertain sins in your soul, Sins the people brought upon you. And you are bitter and stewing over them in anger. The word is topos. We get topography. It says you can leave place. Topos. For Satan. You can leave a place for yourself. A place for Satan to have access to you. To manipulate you with half-truths and anger and bitterness. In which everything around you becomes skewed. And everything looks like they're out to get you. And every time this person talks, it's always in the worst light. It's always in the most unfavorable uh, lighting that you would say, this person is out to get me. See, that, that Satan, that Satan doing what he is doing with the anger that you have allowed him to use in your heart, it cannot be something you hold on to. You have to get rid of it immediately and quickly. This is why forgiveness is so important to Jesus, because Satan loves to destroy marriages. And all you need is to go so many days with so much baggage backed up, and so many unsolved problems and sins that have never been confessed and forgiven destroys families, toxic families. You walk into the home and everybody's just at each other. There's no grace, there's no generosity. Satan will destroy a church this way. This is exactly how he gets in, because we leave him place by unforgiveness. To the problem of persistent sins it's like um, this summer uh, occasionally I'll go to uh, the Idlewild uh, soak zone uh, or if you go to uh, around here actually the, the park is uh, Murraysville Park they have this uh, a big bucket full of water uh, and it just fills up very slowly it almost takes forever especially if you're standing down there uh, with the kids and you're like when's this thing going to fall on me Um and it, it has a particular uh, way it's done um, that you have to just hear the water trickling. You hear it trickling, because it's so lifted up high above you, you really don't know when it's going to fall, and that's part of the excitement, right? And when it falls, because it's taken so long, and it's such a massive bucket, it falls with everything. And that is great for Soak Zone. That's great for hanging out on a hot summer day with your kids. You cannot run your life that way. That's not how a family works. You'll destroy your marriage with this. We don't hold sins in a big bucket. Eight ounce cups. Enough water you drink in one day. These are all the sins that people had for you in 24 hours. And before the sun goes down, dump that thing. You cannot pile on sins. Whether it be from your husband or your wife your children or that person, and backlog that into some big bucket. Because the warning of Scripture is, that bucket will fall, eventually. And it will ruin everything in your life with it. Remember, seven times for Cain, 77 for Lamech, God floods the whole world and kills everybody. Either it gets forgiven, Or it gets deluged under God's wrath. That's the only way sin is dealt with. So make it small cups. And empty it every day. This is what Jesus is saying. Sins against one another are like this dripping bucket. Children are persistent. See, it's the persistence of how many times really can they do this one thing to me again. So children are persistent in disobeying their parents. Wives are persistent in not submitting to their husbands in the Lord. Husbands are persistent in not selfishly giving their whole life to their wife to serve her and build her up. These sins that we have toward one another are constant. And if they're not dealt with, they're just massive buckets of wrath that will ruin our lives. So the solution to this type of persistence, which is how can I have the resource and some of you even now might be thinking of this particular situation privately in your soul. How could I have the resource to really extend myself again? To forgive that person again? What if you even were counting and it was approaching 70 times 7? Seven? How could I do it? Where can I find the forgiveness in my heart because I have nothing left? And Jesus answers that beautifully. The solution to finding persistence and forgiveness is perspective. That's why he gives the parable. Kingdom of heaven, he says, is like this. Master of a great house who had many servants. And all these servants owed him greatly. And one day he decided, you know what? I'm going to collect my debts. And so one of these servants came to him, and that one servant alone owed him ten thousand talents. Instead, it's impossible to pay that amount of money. He simply takes the man aside, which was an ancient custom in the old world of slavery, is that, and it's a merciful thing to say, I'm simply selling you off. I'm simply letting you go. And whatever money I can get from you and your family and your children and everything you have is appropriate for me. But you see, that actually is the mercy. Because He's keeping the family unit together. He's letting the slave move along so the master can do what he can with the best of the situation. The man fell on his knees and said, no, 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 no. no. Just be patient with me. Be patient with me. It's only 10,000 talons. The most beautiful verse in it all is that the master... Simply looked at him. And it says, out of pity for him, he released him and forgave him. The word there for pity. Now that's a word translated differently in different Bibles because it's a complicated word. It means that his organs turned. Some translators say it means... His heart went out. Almost out of his chest. It was just pure love. This pitiful person. Couldn't even approach the the wages that he deserved. And the master's heart just went out and said, You know, let it just be gone. Let it just be gone. And that's how you and I are forgiven. From the very Heart of God for no other reason except that His organs, as it were, turn for you. He loves you that much that He simply wants you to just be free. Free from all your sins, just gone. Don't do a thing. Don't lift a pinky. You couldn't do it and I can't wait for it. Lifetimes of lifetimes of debt. You could never pay me back. And the Father's love is such that it is a true Forgiveness from the heart. It's a beautiful image. And the center of such a beautiful image is countered by such a hideous reality. As that we're told immediately, that servant turns around, finds another servant of equal status to him that owed him 100 denarii. 100 instead of being generous and at least talking to him, he seized him, he grabbed him, he choked him, he held his hand around his throat and said, you pay me what you owe. And the man said, he'll be patient with me, I'll pay you. And instead of releasing him, he refused, we're told. No, I'll put you in prison for what you did to me. Oh. The tragedy, the moral compromise of this whole thing that the other servants see, they tell the Master, we're told particularly the other servants were distressed. Can you imagine heaven like this? That everyone's looking about how all their sins were forgiven, and you show up, with your self-righteousness, and nickel and diming, everybody that's ever wronged you. The response of the Master is, how wicked are you, my servant, that I would forgive you so much, And that you wouldn't even let this go? Should you not have showed mercy as I gave it to you, is the implication. Should you not have that? This perfect justice in his anger, the Master delivered him to the jailers until he would pay every penny that he owes. And Heavenly Father, Jesus says, will do that to any of us who will not forgive our brother from our heart. From our heart. The jailers, particularly here, are translated torturers. That is, it was initially better for him at first when he had all the debt because the master was simply going to just let him go, sell him off, keep him and his family intact, and just let him be. But because he was first given such great mercy, then his wrath was even more severe that he actually had to go to the torturers and be put in prison and tortured until he would pay back everything. That is, to be given great mercy, to know the gospel, to be in the church of Jesus Christ, to be washed by the blood of the Lamb, Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, and then to realize that somebody did something to you, oh, it would be better if you never knew the gospel. It would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck. You'd be thrown into the depths of the sea. This requires us to glorify God in our generous forgiveness because we should be able to love much because we have been forgiven much. A talent is 20 years of labor. 20 years of working is one. The man owed 10000 200,000 years of work, of annual salary, of money. And he fell on his face and said, Be patient with me. I'll pay you back 200,000 lifetimes. What else but pity could save us? What else but God's heart being extended to us for all of our debts? But instead, the man who owed him a sin. When, we, when people sin against us, what is it? A hundred denarii. Denarii is simply just one day of labor. A hundred days of labor. To put it in perspective, the average American works 108 days a year just paying the IRS. Sorry to tell you that. I knew it was going to be a pretty hard sermon. You work 108 days of the year, just paying the IRS. So, in other words, this debt is reasonable. You're already doing it. You're already giving 108, 100, over 100 days of your uh, working year to someone else, paying off debts for whatever it or Ukraine. So, it's reasonable that this man could be forgiven. It's reasonable that if you'd be patient with him, he would pay you back. But how? Opposite is it for us to ever take that and then actually project it to someone else and say, now how could you ever treat me this way after we sin against God consistently, persistently, day after day? That's the divide. That's the pressure that Jesus is trying to build. And I have, and I would say, Every once in a while, in the sermon throughout the week, in preparation, there's always a portion of it. I have no idea even how to wrap my mind around it, and I pray, and there's nothing. Because it simply is this. What do you say? What can I say when I'm trying to say that we owe God a lot? That we actually are very, very much in debt to Him. That what is it to say He has forgiven us, except that it was a very great thing? It's almost like when you approach this in the realm of how many stars there are, or very large numbers, when they say there's billions of stars, you say, okay. Like God forgave you, okay. But there's no real solution to actually appreciating that. And the only way, and I've thought through and prayed, the only way that makes sense to me, that you could even begin to approach the the, the depth of his forgiveness to you, would be like the stars. The only way you can know how amazing it is, how many stars there are, is you'd have to simply just start counting them. The, until they're real numbers, and until you can't count anymore, until you have no more left in your, man, your mind or your brain, and you actually experience the overwhelming number of the stars, then you can start to say, wow, I, I sense something of the, the gravity of that number. The Westminster Confession says, We must repent of our particular sins, particularly. If you want to know more than just a platitude, more than just saying, He has really forgiven me. Hallelujah, let me sing. But go home, fall on your knees, and begin to count as best as your memory can serve you. Invite the Holy Spirit, and it could be a terrifying experience. Invite the Holy Spirit to cause to your memory all of your sins. Get out a piece of paper and write. them Until you can't write anymore or fall asleep. To begin to understand. That you have to forgive everybody. This is Christ's command. David Paulus and great Christian counselor said. Forgiveness is two things. It's transactional. It has to be out there. Someone has to repent. And you have to forgive them. Luke 17, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, then forgive him. But the danger of this is, if the person is not willing to repent, the danger is you harbor bitterness in your heart. And so here is Jesus' second part of the commandment. Forgive from your heart. David Paulison says this is an attitude of forgiveness. That is, there is a forgiveness that happens in prayer. We're told in Mark 11, Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, as your Father has forgiven you. That is, when you stand there praying and you think of anything, immediately offer it up to the Lord in prayer. Forgive to the Lord. Say, Lord, I forgive so and so, though they don't care and they don't want to be forgiven. Lord, I forgive so and so. Now fix my heart. Do not let there be any places for Satan in my heart. And soften my heart to forgive that person. This is releasing you, and you have to be released from this. You're preparing your mind for action, as First Peter says. See, unforgiveness is like holding a bunch of garbage. I've been having these virtual meetings uh, at my house uh, for the past few weeks um, with a few uh, select people doing some, uh, uh, some Bible study and training. And they, we meet later uh, in the evening when the kids are usually sleep, so it's like an 8 o'clock kind of thing eight to nine or so. And some of these have been on Thursdays. And, well, Thursday's also garbage day for me. And uh, I'm bad at this. Uh, I'm really bad. One time we, I changed my men's discipleship group from being Wednesday to Thursday, and I didn't put the garbage out front for like two weeks. Because I was like, well, it's not today, because I just did a a, a discipleship group, and that was Wednesdays, but instead it was a Thursday. Well, here, I'm meeting with these guys on Thursdays. It's tired. It's almost like 10 or whatever. I want to go to bed, and I forget the garbage got it. Forgot it. The persistent sins of the husband in the home. But see, it was a bad week to forget. There was garbage all through my deck and around the back where the garbage can was completely overflowing. When I walk through the door, come around the deck, I just smell it. It just oozes into the air. That's it. You see, if you could see spiritually what it does to your soul, If you could see what it's doing to your marriage. If you could see what it's doing to your children. To your very life. You would get rid of it. Jesus is saying. It's doing far worse. Than piling up a few weeks of garbage. Many of you perhaps. Have held on to things for years. And you don't know what it has done to you. And what it has cost you. You have to let it go. The word forgiveness means to let go, to fear me, to let go. There's only two ways. Either the garbage man comes and picks it up, there's a transaction, repentance, forgiveness, you can work it out with somebody. And if you can't, you've got to burn that garbage. You have to go to it in prayer and offer it as an incense of prayer to the Lord. That is what Jesus did. He laid it out on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. And he offered his prayer of incense up to the Lord, who were his murderers. And then he said, Lord, take my spirit. I offer it to you. And he offered his life. See, Father gave you his heart. We're told in John 1.18 that Jesus Christ is in the bosom of the Father. That is, in his right hand, the images of a son holding a father, right next to his chest, right next to his breast, right next to his heart. And he was given for you. That is, The Father has forgiven you from His heart. He's offered His own heart to you. His own love. His own Son. That you would be released. And therefore, we must forgive from the heart. Because that is exactly how God has forgiven us. Dear Father God, please, we offer You our worship. We thank You, Lord, for Your forgiveness that You have covered over all of our sins. Father, particularly our prayer would be that here in this church, particularly anyone in this uh, moment, Lord, who is pressed, who is aware in conscience that they have things that they need to let go of, that they have bitterness and forgiveness that must be brought out. Father, we ask for Your grace. We ask for Your ability to cleanse us and help us forgive from the heart as You have forgiven us. In Jesus' name, Amen.